I'm Charlie Hipwood, CEO of Mass Ventures. And I'm Stacy Swider, an investor at Mass Ventures. And we welcome you to the Fundable Founder, where we'll be exploring relevant topics for technology entrepreneurs to help them succeed in raising capital and in growing their businesses. As a founder who started and ran three companies, I didn't know what I didn't know when I first set out. <laughs> but you eventually figured things out, right? For the most part, through trial and error and mentorship. But now as a VC, I'm frequently advising entrepreneurs on the same topics. So Stacy and I are here to share that earned wisdom with you, along with the experts that we interview on a variety of subjects. We are. The roadmap to a successful startup is at your fingertips. So turn up the volume and grab the keys to success for your fundable founder journey. All right. I'm here today with Kevin Frechette. Uh, founder and CEO of Fair Market, uh, who's going to talk to us a little bit about building a sales organization. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for having me, Charlie. Looking forward to this call. So, you know, we're, we're here today to talk about kind of the 101 of building a sales organization. And, and I wanted to start with, you know, you have a great sales background. You've built a tremendous sales team at Fair Market. You know, how early in your startup journey did you start thinking about how you wanted to structure your sales organization? Yeah, um, to provide some context too, just for the people listening to this, um, every sales organization is going to be different. And it's going to be very different depending on the state, like the, um, the market you're going after, how you think your sales cycles will be, uh, what you think your ACVs will be. So just for context, um, in year one, we did ACVs from anywhere from 10K to 100, about 150K. Yep. So that kind of range and we are selling to enterprises. So I just want to make sure I lay that out. Um, also, I think in terms of when to do it, it really depends on what is your confidence in your sales background. Right. Because um, if you have a sales background, you've been in different sales roles, you've been in closing roles, you might be able to wait a little longer and it might be very beneficial because you want to be learning on those sales calls because you're still like, you're refining your ICP, you're refining your message, the use cases. So I'd always recommend founders should just be on the front line selling, whether you have a sales background or not. I've been front line. Usually if you have a sales background, you can go a little longer, but if you don't, it's probably valuable to bring someone in like very early. Um, and from, from, from my perspective, when people think about sales orgs, it's not like you're building out a 20 person team right off the bat, right? Like you're looking to bring in one person that has a founder mentality that is just out in the front lines, like setting up meetings, getting into the conversations, pulling you in with them. Um, and someone that is just like hungry to get out there and trailblaze so I, I would recommend very early, especially if you don't have a sales background, that would be one of my first hires, just because you want to have those at-bats to learn. No, that makes a ton of sense. And I think that's great advice. And, you know, any advice on how to find that person? I mean, I know it's hard to find somebody with really great sales experience who might want to come in at the very early days of a startup, right? A lot of really good salespeople want to come in maybe at the Series B, uh, where all the everything's been de-risked. Yeah, it, it's... Um... It depends what, like what you're looking for. In our view, it wasn't someone that had 20 years of experience and 20 years of success. It's also not a first-time BDR or someone that's been AE for three or four months, because ideally you have someone that can run a deal. Like they at least have the mechanics. They know how to do it. They understand that, like the value of building a business case. They know how to prospect. They can use a HubSpot or Salesforce that you have in there. They know how to figure out their own cadences, like a self-starter. Um, for us, it was viewing someone that had like two or three years of uh, like SaaS closing experience and was just hungry. Yep. So it's, it's a person that has the mentality that they're just like, they want to trailblaze. They want, once again, they want to be viewed as a founder uh, in a great way, which I think anyone at like early on should be, have that mentality. Um, and for, for us, 
it wasn't that we needed a CRO or like a, a VP of sales that's run a 30, 40, 50, 100 person team. It was someone that we knew pending they executed, we could then have them be a player coach and then a manager of the team because their best practices and lesson learned are going to be like super valuable when you bring on the next person and the next person. So I wouldn't try to hire too high above your stage because you might get someone exactly what you said that just is like is looking for the playbook, which you don't that's have. Right. That's right. Well, I think that's so important too. I think we're going to talk about it in another one of our videos about kind of questions that you can ask to get to who the salesperson is, right? And if they have that desire and hunger and they're ready to, uh, you know, run their own playbook, et cetera. So uh, it's great advice and it's hard to do, right? You got to find the, you got to really get to the core of who that person is and, and how, you know, how bad they want this, right? It's about the belief. And so like, yeah. do they believe in what you're doing? Do they believe in you? And if they do, then they're going to run through walls. Uh, it's also a good way to, um, to kind of like determine if they're in it for the right reasons is like early on what we did from, I think we're gonna talk about comp plans later, yeah. but we made it a lower base in terms of the percentage and a higher variable. Yep. So we gave, the, we gave them a ton of upside. We will absolutely pay for performance, but that kind of set the tone that like, we want to do right by you. But if you come in and you blow it out of the water, we'd be happy for you to be the highest paid person at fair market. Like that's, that's awesome. Right. Because that means that you're you're growing and you're performing. But that's also a tough thing for a founder CEO. A lot of founder CEOs have a tough time allowing somebody else to make more money than they do. So, but in this case, if you find the right salesperson, they're worth their weight in gold, right? They're they're just absolutely increasing the value of the business. Yeah, it's black and white. And I think that's sometimes the difference between someone that has a sales background founder and like a technical founder we've seen is sometimes like it seems a little skewed. Like, why would a salesperson get paid the most at this stage? But because it's all about growth right now, it's about learning, it's about getting customers in the door, where if you don't have that, and you can't learn from those initial customers, then like you're not going to get off the ground. Totally. So I, I'd say it's, uh, in my view, I would always say let's overpay for performance, not not just for the sake of doing it, because um, as a founder, like that's going to pay off 50x. So let's segue into compensation then. So you touched on a little bit of base, a bonus, there's equity. I mean, how do I know you give a lot of thought to how you compensate your salespeople? What are some of the, the things that you would advise others on thinking about? Yeah, so the, the, the main components would be obviously the, the base versus the variable. So say someone's at a um, 140K OTE, so on target earnings. Uh, then traditionally, at like a, once you get to a larger scale, it's usually a 50-50 split. So you'd have 70K if it would be base, 70K would be variable. That means that if they hit the quarter you gave them, they would get that additional 70K. So their OTE, their earnings would be 140K. As they go above that quota, that's when they start to make more kind of, usually you have accelerators, which means when they go over, they actually get paid more for every dollar that they go over. Um, Early on, we were big fans of skewing that scale to making it like a 30% base or a 35% base. And then like a 70% variable. Because at that point, we could pay super high percentages on every dollar that was brought in, which made it really exciting. And like, it, it got our team very aggressive to say, okay, let's go out and close these larger deals because the paychecks we're going to get are going to be meaningful. Right. So that, that's one aspect. Um, the other one is definitely an equity play uh, where people that are buying in at that point, like make sure it's a meaningful amount of equity. <clears throat> because like if they come in and it invests over four years anyways, uh, and if they're there for four years and they help to really build out the sales org, like they deserve that. Like that's such an early stage and there's so much risk that they're taking on where they can go to another company and get a much higher OTE um, at like a well-funded company. The final thing that I think is very, it's a tricky conversation is like, how do you set quotas? 
right. especially when you're early on. Cause like the forecast, you don't know. Like, <laughs> no idea. So like, so then, so that's, it, that's challenging for a sales rep. Uh, because if you don't know the quota, like what's a fair quota. Right. Um, so the two, three different things you could do. Um, one is make it a six month quota or a shorter one versus a tw- 12 month, because then you can adjust it on the fly yep. and you're usually not going to adjust it up. Like you'll just let them keep beating it. It would be to adjust it down. If you miss like uh, you miss like forecasted sure. what it should be. Um, the second one would be like just being overly transparent where like they know the stage they're joining. They understand it. Like don't, don't try to like fluff it up. Like be very transparent. Try to scare them out of the interview process. <laughs> and like tr- truthfully, like, cause that's what I know. I know. Yeah. And, uh, and then if they're in, you say like, listen, we're going to do right by you. If you come yep. in you bust your ass, like we're going to make sure we do right by you. Um, I'd say the final one is like to find like what you think the, what are the goals of this person? I think we'll talk about it later and then put tie their comp to it. Cause it's not always bookings. Like as you get bigger, it's going to be a bookings and a revenue quota, but you might just decide we want logos. So yeah. maybe make their quota based off logos. Maybe make their quota early on based off pipeline generated. Uh, maybe do a number of deals. So figure out like what's really most important for your business and then align them to that. But just like keep that open conversation with them. That way they feel like they're part of the team and that you're just going to do right by them the whole way. Yeah. So I think you just touched on it. I was going to ask you, how do you measure success or how do you kind of build those goals? And so you just gave us a couple examples of goals. And I mean, with your sales team early on, did you give them three or four goals and there was comp tied to each or was it an overall uh, pool? You know, I mean, how did you think about that? Yeah. So usually what we did is for AEs, we did it based off revenue. So we just kept it based off bookings. Um, and we, we, we made sure there were conservative quotas because once again, we want people to be fired up and to overachieve on their number. Um, but when you're t- thinking about like a BDR, as you're thinking about building your BDR team, um, that those goals are typically aligned to meetings set up. So meeting scheduled. It could be meetings completed that actually showed up. It could be opportunities that moved to qualified status. And then it could be actually closed business based off those meetings. So that's when you start to get into some, like we did specifically, just some more like, like a top of the funnel metrics because right. that's what we want them to feed the sales team. Um, and once again, like it's kind of like a fluff, like up in the air. Cause like you really don't know your conversion ratios. So like in a normal business, you, you want five X coverage, which means if you want to close a million dollars of business, you need $5 million of qualified pipeline. Yep. So like that's as of your business matures, some people use four X. I think five X is the more common. That's what you want to get to. But early on, you have no idea. You're still learning. So realistically, what you want is at bats at the plate, because yep. then you the founders can help to like refine like how you're building, how you're messaging and what's hitting or what's not hitting. No, that makes sense. And then how much of the, the AE's comp do you tie to renewals, if at all? Uh, so super early on, like very, the first year, we didn't have a CS team. So for our ARR business, we would pay them out. Um, I mean, it would just sit with two or three people. We would have them close the deal and then manage the like account after. Yep. So they would actually get paid like in a crazy world back in the day they would get paid their percentage on year two, year three, which right. is not sustainable and not something you should do long-term. Um, <laughs> over time, that usually changes where we went from that to paying them on like, if it was a three-year contract, uh, like upfront or annual, but they signed up for three years, we'd pay them on the whole value of the three years and their percentage. But then we then um, iterated on that. And now we pay on ACV. So the first year ACV of the contract, and if it's multi-years, we'll give them a kicker. So say they were getting 15% or 20% in the first year. If it's a two-year deal, they made the additional two or 3%. Yep. And then if it's a three-year deal, they made the additional 5%. So you kind of build on that. And that for, to, to really make sure you're building like an efficient business, 
that that's the route that you should go over time. No, that makes sense. And I think you're also just, you're, you're providing so much insight into the fact that the process early on is very iterative and you're going to be changing goals. You're going to be changing comp. You're going to be changing things and that's okay. And I think part of it is being transparent with your early salespeople that, Hey, this is what it is today, <laughs> but we're going to iterate on this as we learn more and what we're going to do right by you. Right. So build that trust. Yeah. Uh, and then the compensation kind of follows. Yeah, uh, what about, I mean, how long do you give AEs to ramp and when do you decide and how do you decide to re- that somebody's underperforming and replace when it's time to replace them? Yeah, it's different at different stages. So as like now, we know that our ramp for an AE, say it takes six months. So we're building out all the material to shorten that down to like three or four months. That's our goal from like a ramp perspective. Um, uh, the During ramp, it's really qualifying like what does ramp actually mean? What are the KPIs or the benchmarks that you want to see? They should be building this much pipeline that has gone to this stage, this much activity. So like you can start to track. Like sales is interesting where it's actually the easiest job to manage because everything should be measured. Right. So I know when you're thinking about it and you're thinking about, okay, this person didn't hit their number. They don't have the pipeline to hit their number next quarter and they're not generating enough pipeline to hit it in a future quarter. Like that's not an emotional decision. Like that is obviously you want to help you want to educate and support them. But if you're doing all that stuff and that, that the math just doesn't work out, then like they're not going to hit their number. It's not good for them either. Cause no one wants to be in a sales role where they're not hitting the number. They're not making money. And so like, that's why, like my, my recommendation to, so to answer your question, you, when you get a little later stage, you have a little better support. So you might have a little longer, like lead time to, uh, before you let someone go, you still want to like act fast. You never want to hang yep. on too long, but early on we made decisions super quick. Yep. And it was less about the person. It was more about us understanding what's the profile that we need. Because we thought, oh, you can just hire BDRs and have them close deals. And then we thought, oh, you need to experience people. So it's kind of like as you refine, um, which is like it's part of growing a business. It, it's you just like you refine what is the profile that's optimal for your stage. And yep. everyone would have to probably go through a couple iterations over time uh, to get that sweet spot. I mean, for your business, did you settle on a structure that works for you with a certain number of BDRs? per AE? I mean, how do you think about that uh, organizational yeah, we, structure? We went from our uh, Mike Metcalf rock star. I did a post about a couple months ago, just like stud. So he came in as our first rep trailblaze, closed the first couple of deals. Well, we closed deals before he got in, like founder led deals. Yes. And then Mike was the first like out, like a um, like person to come in that wasn't a founder to close deals. He then was running deals and managing a team. And then we got his team to about um, six or seven people. And then we broke it off into two teams where he's managing two different teams. And then eventually we ended up bringing a CRO that has scaled a SaaS company yep. from uh, 1 million to hundred million. Um, but in terms of like how we thought about it, we are breaking out by regions. So by territories, that's how we brought up people. Um, and then from a BDR standpoint, we had, there's, there's a million different ways you can do it and you can, you'll change it 10 times yep. where like you could have a pool of BDRs that set up meetings across the board. And then it goes to the person whose patch it is. You can do one-to-one alignment and like pods, which is interesting because you can develop the BDRs very well. Um, I would just say like early on, I wouldn't rely on inbound because you're not going to have it. Uh, everyone <laughs> wants it and you want to like find what's that magic, like yep. tinkering of like our AdWords. Like it's, you might happen if it works for you. Awesome. Run for 95% of companies early on. You're just not going to have it. That's right. So for us, like what we saw as our growth hack is we went out and we hired about 15 interns. Yeah. that we just gave call scripts to. We gave them sales off. We gave them HubSpot. And we had them set up. They're set up like 200 meetings a month. And they were just going, coming in between classes. Like we are ringing the gong. We're having fun. We had leaderboards and everything like that. We've been bringing like pizza and stuff. 
Um, so we've evolved over time to make it full-time people. And obviously like we have a couple of different ways we break it up, but I'd say early on, like people with motors that can set meetings up from a BDR perspective, that's all that matters because then you're teeing up more opportunities for the sales team to run and for you as a founder to run. That's this has been great. Um, I've got like a million more questions, but I want to keep this uh, on time and we can certainly do maybe future videos to dive in, down on uh, additional topics later. But do you have any, any other insights for us uh, as we, as we close off this conversation, anything you want to pass along? Yeah, I'd say um, definitely get a CRM. I'd probably recommend HubSpot early on. Uh, you can get the, the, the really good founder or startup discount. Yep. Um, that is great because you need to start tracking like all your data points. Uh, otherwise you have no idea and you can't learn. It's just like gut feelings. Um, also when you're thinking about fundraising processes to be able to show different conversion rates and how things are trending is really important because that's like the momentum for the inflection point of like that next race. Um, so I'd say usually start with HubSpot. Usually people go to Salesforce like a couple of years in, uh, which is much more robust system, but obviously like whatever works for you. And I'd say the other one is um, just make sure to measure and to set clear KPIs. So key performance indicators. So understanding what is the activity that you want the team to be doing, especially early on? Is it making 100 cold calls a day? Is it sending 100 emails? Is it just around they want you, you want to set up three pipeline opportunities um, a week? Whatever it is, like set those clear goals because someone's coming in, they have no process, they have no built out material and content. Like like it's not even a ton of there's not a lot of reference customers. The one thing that you can control is setting up what you expect of them. So I would just be very clear on that and make it collaborative. That's so right. like they'll probably have insight and feedback to what they think is. And then every month you kind of tweak, okay, what should we be doing? And that's how you start to build out your playbook for the long run. Excellent. Well, great insights. Uh, thank you again, as always, Kevin, and good luck with uh, your future success. Cool. Thanks a lot. Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Fundable Founder. Please go to our website at mass-ventures.com for more information on Mass Ventures and where you can also find other episodes just like this.